Hey, Michael. Did you know that there is a debate this Wednesday night? Oh, yes. Yes, there's a debate that we're going to have to suffer through one more time. And uh, the focus, by the way, this week from Trump is all on rigging, rigging, rigging. Is the election going to be rigged for Donald Trump? That's, That's where we're at. We have this and a whole much more to cover. Ladies and gentlemen... You're tuned into the right program. Thank you, and let's get rolling. God, there's another debate Wednesday night. My God. How are we supposed to survive this again? There, there, there is literally... There's laws against how much alcohol you... Well, not laws, but th- there's recommendations against how much alcohol one should consume in a sitting. And that th- these debates, I think I surpassed that limit within, like, I don't know, the first five minutes. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Okay, calm down, people. Mellow out. Mellow out. I don't actually drink that much during the debates. I don't. I did drink the first debate. I did. I was drinking Apothic Inferno. And I had like a glass of that. And I'm a guy that drinks whiskey, so you, I don't think, you know, wine was that, you know, given that much of a pack and a punch. If you ask me. If you ask me. But uh, I, now I'm aggravated by debates. Remember, ep- it was episodes ago. Episodes ago. During the primaries. Where I was like, I was happy for debates. Bring on the debates. Let's have, let's hear what the people have to say. Let's, let's, uh, let's have a hotly contested primary with lots of candidates. At least on the Republican side. The Democratic side was doomed from the start. I mean, face it, come on. It started with Jim Webb, Lincoln Chafee, Martin O'Malley... Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Those were the, 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 the... There was five. Can you believe that? You probably didn't even know that. You probably only really knew Hillary and Bernie. Uh, because Chafee wasn't even in the running. I, I, I'm I'm convinced that they... That when they were organizing, they were like, the Republicans have 16, 17 candidates, and we have four, if you count Jim Webb. Hey, Lincoln, you want to debate, right? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll debate. Sure, put me up on the stage. That's what I'm convinced Lincoln Chafee wasn't even in the running. He was just there. They were like, hey, be an extra body. Make this look good. And honestly, if you're if you're a, a, a tried-and-true Democratic voter, I mean, tell me that Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC didn't, you know, shortchange you on debates. I believe they did. I started listing off all the Republican debates. I was having a discussion with somebody at work uh, just last night, in fact about the upcoming final debate. And I said, 
I said something along the lines of the, the Republicans started with 16, but they had so many debates. They had so many debates, which is a good, which is a good thing. I think that's a good thing. They had so many. And I was trying to narrow down how many the Democrats had. And through process of elimination, I might be wrong. Somebody feel free to correct me on it. But I was pretty sure the first debate had all five, Lincoln Chafee, Jim Webb, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Martin O'Malley. Then the next debate was without Lincoln Chafee. I believe Webb was in that debate. Then it was just the three, O'Malley, Clinton, Sanders. I think they had one debate. And immediately following that, I think it was two debates that followed. That was just Bernie and Clinton. If we go through the... I can't go through the Republican one by memory because it went from 16 candidates split between a a main card and a kiddie table uh, each time. And the numbers slowly dwindled down, but the Republicans always had like three... Or four players up on the stage. You know, at any given moment. So, we'll talk about the debate in a minute. How's everybody's week been? It's been mild. It's been cool in Delaware. Getting there, getting nice and mild. and You know, it's, uh, it's you know, breezing by. You know, we're getting into full. You know, it's great. It's awesome. Uh, what One thing that happened last week, though, I finally, finally... A little bit aggravating, but finally I got to turn on my solar system. Yeah, from Solar City, so I am now running on solar energy. And it's beautiful because I can go on the Solar City app and I can see exactly how much I'm producing, how much I'm consuming. It is spectacular. I was changing me and my wife were changing oil in the cars. If I say I was changing the oil, my wife will smack me because she was changing the oil. Because uh, she wants to. she She's a glutton for punishment, I guess. I don't know. Uh, she, anyway, she wouldn't let me get, get under her car to take the, the oil pin off. She she wanted to do it. I don't... Whatever. I let her do it. It's, it, it's, it is what it is. But while we were outside, I went over to the, uh, the electric meter. And it was noon. It was like noon or one o'clock. And I was watching, you know, they're digital meters now, so it's a digital reading. But it was going backwards, baby. It was going backwards. And I just, like, I, it filled me with delight. I felt like a mad scientist. Look at all the power I'm producing. I'm not using, I'm producing it. And so far, it's only, it hasn't even been a week yet. It'll be a week really on Wednesday. Because I turned it on Tuesday night last week. Tuesday, like, mid afternoon. So I didn't get that much sunlight in, but I I got a little bit of production. But really Wednesday, this Wednesday will mark a full week with it. And I'm telling you, most of the days this past week, and some of them were even cloudy days, I overproduced by a healthy margin. In fact, let me just take a minute. I'm pulling up my app right now. I'm going to my power guide. that's That's the awesome thing about this. You can monitor in real time how much energy you're producing and consuming. So you can see when you have spikes, like uh, one of the days last week I wasn't home, and you can see where it spikes. You can see where it spikes when I'm not home, and that's that's little things like maybe the deep freezer needs to kick on and cool off. 
you know, a little bit. So it draws in more energy. Right now, as it stands, and mind you, this is against real time, so both are currently still going up. So far, I've produced 145.2 kilowatt hours of energy, and I've consumed 140.9 kilowatt hours. Energy offset of 104%. Uh, I can't tap into specific days anymore. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. What am I talking about? Look at this. All right, so Tuesday, October 11th, I turned it on uh, at around 3 o'clock. Actually, I turned it on around 2. It took some time to warm up. I produced at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 6 o'clock it dwindled. Sun went down. I only produced 3.6 kilowatts of energy that day. My total consumption for the day was 32 kilowatt hours. Uh, the following day, Wednesday, October 12th, I produced 29.8 kilowatt hours, consumed 20.4 kilowatt hours, 146% offset. Thursday, produced... 15.3% consumed 20.6. It was actually cloudy that day, so my peak didn't really go above about 2. My peaks for two different hours was at 2.5 kilowatts, not 3 or 4. So it was cloudy that day. Friday, I got all the way up to near 6 kilowatts. Uh, produced 36.7 kilowatt hours. Consumed 16. Saturday, produced 35. Consumed 17. Sunday, produced 26, consumed 29. So my energy use yesterday was high. And as of right now, I've produced 1.3, have consumed 8.6. But it's cool because you can go on the app and there's a little now tab and you can watch it in real time. You can watch as the sun keeps coming up, as the sun reaches peaks hours, you can see how you're producing more energy. But the fact, I love more so the fact that you can see your real-time consumption on a graph. Because if I wanted to, I can go into anything right now and just unplug it and see how much energy it's drawing. That's that's kind of cool. Ener- being energy efficient is is boss. I, I like having that ability. So so far it's been a good experience. But people, I don't I can't tell you whether it is for you or not. If you want more information and you're a friend of mine in, in the local area, I've got my guy. I can send him your way and you can get a consultation. It's, it's a no strings, no commitment. They'll come out, talk with you about it, see if you're a good candidate for it, and give you all the options. There's multiple options you can go with. But so far, the experience for me has been good. I don't know what I'm going to be paying yet, though. I haven't got a bill for my energy use. And that, by the way, that's the plan that I'm on. When I say that, people are like, wait, you're paying for it? Yeah, I, the plan that I'm on, I'm paying for the energy that I'm going to use, but it's at a lesser rate than my local utility company. That's all I can tell you. I'm still saving money, even though... If you want to go out and outright buy one of these systems, I'm just I'm going to drop it on you right now. It's like thirty grand, possibly forty grand, depending on the size, uh, the angles of the roof on your house, you know, all those things in consideration. It's close to forty grand if you want to shell it out. But for somebody like me who doesn't have forty grand, which might shock some of you, I know. What's this guy sitting behind a microphone for and he's not getting paid forty grand? I don't know. Radio producers out there, if you want to help me out and get me on you know, on pace to, you know, have a spare forty grand lying around, I will gladly accept. I'm not an idiot. 
But if you have questions, I will be periodically updating it. My, my friends on Facebook who are you know actually direct friends with me, uh, which, by the way, if you listen to this show, if you happen to casually listen and you find my Facebook page and send me a friend request, I'm not necessarily against friend requesting you, but send me a message or something. I have friend requests sitting in my inbox right now, and I, they're people that I don't know. When I don't know somebody adding me as a friend, I'm like, who the hell is stalking me? Okay, I'm a I'm a correctional employee. I don't just add anybody or talk to anybody on social media. Okay? I have little doses of paranoia for safety reasons. Okay? Okay, glad glad we could air that out. So I'm I'm skimming over articles to look at today. I'm 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 a little ill prepared today. I don't have an itinerary sitting in front of me. I'm going with the flow. Uh, just some things that pop up into my head, though. Uh, d- like, apparently in North Carolina, the GOP headquarters was firebombed. Yeah, firebombed. There's not a lot of details on that right now. Everybody's safe, thank God. Uh, the tweets uh, from our presidential leading candidates, though. Uh, Donald Trump decided to go the high route, tweeted out, uh, animals representing Hillary Clinton and Democrats in North Carolina just firebombed our office in Orange County because we are winning. So, you know, Donald Trump very much taking the high route. Good job. Appreciate that, brother. And then uh, Hillary Clinton, of course, like the scum of the earth that she is, went the very low, despicable, slimy route and said uh, in in her tweet, uh, the attack on the Orange County HQ at NCGOP office is horrific and unacceptable. Very grateful that everyone is safe. I mean, my my God, how disgusting of Secretary Clinton to, to go that low with it. I mean, come on. That's terrible. should be ashamed of yourself. Okay, all joking aside, though, it's, it is horrific. It is horrific that this is how some people would react to the political landscape. Uh, the only thing they have to go off of is there was vandalism. On the building that read, Nazi Republicans get out of town or else. On the side of a nearby building. Okay, well, let's just let's just stop. Republicans aren't Nazis. Uh, and threatening people to leave by firebombing a political headquarters. Whom, whomever did it, that's not the route that you go. And I guarantee you, there's not a single sane-minded Democrat who's condoning the acts. I really... If anybody thinks that there's a there's a sane-minded Democrat who went, Ah, ha, ha, they firebombed the GOP headquarters! Come on, man. If anybody is, and I'm sure there's... I mean, there's there's people on all sides of the spectrum that are despicable, disgusting human beings and they have no idea what sanity is. There's probably somebody out there who laughed and went, Oh, look, the GOP headquarters got firebombed. But no sane, sensible, respectable, decent human being says that whatsoever. So it'll be interesting to see what the investigations kick up there, see who did that. Uh, But thankfully, as I I stated, thankfully, thank God, uh, no injuries reported, no deaths, uh, nobody, nobody actually hurt. But... 
Really? We're firebombing GOP headquarter buildings now? Really? And what's so sad, I mean, I criticized Donald Trump on his tweet. It probably wasn't actually Donald Trump, it was probably a staffer. And Hillary Clinton's rest assured was a staffer as well. These guys have these guys have teams and staffers that, that run their Twitter accounts. Did, did you know that? The only person that's actually tweeting on their account like live and actively is probably Gary Johnson and Jill Stein because they can't afford people to run their tweet, Twitter account for them. That brings me to an interesting article on The Hill titled Republicans Fear for Party's Future. This came into mind, I was thinking over the weekend, uh, reading through Twitter, and I, I don't suggest if you're sane... If you're a sane human being, if you're a sane individual, I don't suggest ever going onto social media and reading all the posts because it is really, truly a highlight of just how sad humanity is. And I know I'm a total hypocrite because I'm saying that, and, I go, and then I go onto Twitter and I tweet like a thousand different tweets and tell people to listen to my podcast and 900 other things. There, there's this vile like divisiveness starting in the Republican Party. And it's sad because at the end of the day, it really is only about 30%, maybe 35% of the registered GOP voters. But they're so blindly loyal to Donald Trump that they've gone on these crusade campaigns. They've already said that that all those, all those quote, Republicans that uh, turn their backs on Trump, they're going to go for them. And I don't think, it's very short-sighted. I don't think they understand that if Trump if Trump goes on to lose and Hillary Clinton wins and then you're turning your back on the GOP guys that turn their back on him, you are effectively going to remove those Republicans out of their positions in the House, in the Senate, and give it to Hillary Clinton. You'll give her a blank check. This is why Paul Ryan has diverted... Well, not Paul Ryan, but this is why Paul Ryan has diverted all attention to down ticket. This is why the GOP and Reince Priebus has diverted all funding down ticket. Because at this point, people who are emphatically and enthusiastically behind Donald Trump, facts don't matter to them. You look at the poll data, and he's being beaten on several levels. Several levels, several states, several percentage points. But that doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter if we could have cameras in the voting booths and show exactly how everybody voted and and cite and justify every single vote. Everybody could come out and say, you know what, voting records this year, show, let the record show who voted for whom. And you could have that factual evidence of this many people voted for Hillary Clinton and this is how she won the election when, when, when that time comes. And these guys would be like, nope, nope. The election was rigged, the media lied to us, and Trump was right, and Trump got screwed. I buy the the conspiracy theory out there, and it's been going on for a while, but I buy the conspiracy theory that it was all for creating a news network, a media empire. I really do. I mean, think about it. Is it it that far-fetched of a conspiracy theory to say that Trump is surprised he's doing so well. Still thinks he's not going to win, but will take his cult following and start a news network. Is it really that far-fetched of an idea? 
I wouldn't think so, but, but I'm not one for buying conspiracy theories. I think out of all the conspiracy theories I've ever heard ever, that one is in particular interesting. To me, at least, anyway. And Donald Trump was a guy, all right, confession time, he was a guy that I was hoping maybe it was just a stigma about him, maybe he would mellow out as the as the election went, and if he got elected, then, you know, maybe he would turn into, you know, a somewhat decent leader. But as we have, uh, as we've progressed... I, I have just been more dismayed. He has not picked up. He has not championed. He has not done anything. And again, people, this is not... It's not an endorsement of Hillary Clinton. It is not an, an endorsement of Hillary Clinton voting for her or supporting her. Because I don't. I think she has great flaws as well. We, we were having this argument... And it was on a family level, so I'm going to leave names out and all that. But we had this argument about, and it, it essentially boiled down to whose candidate is less of a turd. And, by the way, Hillary Clinton didn't win in the argument <laughs> whatsoever. It, it boiled down to Hillary Clinton tells the truth half the time. Maybe. But n- not even on the truthfulness level, just... It boiled down to to a, a, an argument of who is less of a turd, who's less of an immoral, central figure to be behind. Hillary Clinton? I, I haven't talked about the emails. I haven't talked about the email server. I haven't talked about Benghazi a lot. And it's mostly because, uh, in, in terms of the emails, Hillary Clinton was very stupid. Very stupid, very negligent, and... It's been ongoing in government for a while. Stupid negligence. I'll agree to that. I don't think Hillary Clinton did anything criminal with her email server. I don't think she intended to do anything criminal. I don't think she was sitting there rubbing her paws in the background going, I'm going to do so many criminal things on this private email server. I think she was stupid. And instead of owning it, she comes out and she's like, well, I didn't know. You know. I didn't send classified material. You did. You sent classified material. It, had, it was designated classified. It had classified designation on it. And you didn't know what it meant. That's stupid. It's negligent. It's a gross negligence that could have been costly. But it happened in the Bush administration too. This is the cyber error. We, as voters, should be demanding that these candidates, that these that our political head figures, be responsible. Because, put it this way, somebody working in the CIA does, what's, does what Hillary Clinton did, they're, they're done. They're going to jail. Their life is ruined because they're a peon. That's why. But Hillary Clinton, well, she has 11 hours of a hearing, brags about her stamina of it, maybe gets a slap on the wrist from the FBI because the FBI statement will tell you. Let me, get, let me read part of James Comey's statement. And, and I know we've gone over it before, but a lot of people didn't read the full statement. It's on FBI.gov. You can look it up. You can just Google James Comey's statement on Clinton, and you'll get to it. 
Okay, so if you scroll down, uh, his recommendation to the Department of Justice, I'll skim through some of this stuff. Uh, quote, although there is evidence of potential violation of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Prosecutors necessarily weigh a number of factors before bringing charges. There are obvious considerations like the strength of the evidence, especially regarding intent. Responsible decisions also consider the context of a person's actions and how similar situations have been handled in the past. In looking back at our investigations into mishandling or removing of classified information, we cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. All these cases prosecuted involve some combination of the following. Clearly intentional and willful mishandling of classified information, or vast quantities of materials exposed in such a way as to support an inference of intentional misconduct or, indication, or indications of disloyalty to the United States or efforts to obstruct justice. We do not see those things here. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. On the contrary, those individuals are often subject to security or administrative sanctions. But that is not what we're deciding right now. Case in point, I think it was really dumb. I think it was very negligent. I think people should be more concerned about that. We are in the cyber age, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, you have people like Joe Biden talking about putting out hits on Russia. That's right, Politico Story posted uh, yesterday, in fact, on the 16th. Uh, quote, Vice President Joe Biden says the U.S. is planning to retaliate against Russia for a series of cyber attacks targeting the Democratic National Committee and other political operations. Quote, we're sending a message. We have the capacity to do it, Biden said in an interview airing on Sunday on NBC's Meet the Press. In fact, why read it when I can play you the statement? question when um uh, i talked with ambassador former russian ambassador mike mcfall yeah and i we talked about the idea that every once you you you, you got to respond when you when they're hacking you got to do something uh he described it as a high hard one maybe just you know sort of like in baseball you throw a high hard one to send a message why haven't we sent a message yet to putin we're sending a message we have the capacity to do it and uh the message he'll know said it. That he'll know it, and it'll be at the time of our choosing, and under the circumstances that have the greatest impact. Uh, look, um, will it be enough? Do you think that'll get him to back off? I mean, how concerned are you that the country is actually going to question the result of this election? I am not concerned. The reason I'm not is we're working very closely with all the departments of elections across the country. Number one, number two, the American people are pretty damn resilient. And number three, though, the capacity to do, to fundamentally all their election is, uh, is, um, is, is, is not what people think. And uh, I tell you what, to the extent that they do, we will be proportional in what we do. And um, at, 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 at the, So a message is going to be sent. Will the public know? I hope not. I don't know what to make of that. I really don't know what to make of that. And... Part of me is, is a bit baffled because I took a step back and it seems kind of hostile, uh, especially because there's there's talk about Russia and how they're doing things on a cyber level, yet direct evidence and links 
seem to be missing. And it's really weird because I've 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 criticized us as a nation. I've criticized Obama and the administration for allowing Russia to poke the bear with the stick, letting Russian bombers fly dangerously close to aircraft, dangerously co- close to our coastlines, even, and said we need a stronger response. And then I hear this from Biden, and I'm like, I'm taken aback just a little bit, wondering what is the angle, and what is he talking about? How is he talking about hitting them? Uh, and it's almost, it's, it's a little scary Especially because if you go on the hill right now, you can see there's a poll that nearly half of Trump supporters see Russia as a friend to the U.S., which I would I would say Russia Russian relations with us are still sketchy at best. It's still on this very flimsy territory. It's not yes we're friends, yes we're enemies. It's like uh we're kind of towing the line with each other and seeing. You know, seeing what comes of the events around us. That's that's kind of how it is. It's like this teetering relationship. And it seems like it's being pushed to the brink of... of I don't want to say Cold War levels. But it seems like it's being pushed to the brink of Cold War levels almost. Just on a cyber front now. That That's part of why... I mean, I went off on this tangent. I didn't expect to go off on this tangent. The original point was to get back and say that cybersecurity needs to be a focus of these candidates. It needs to be a demand that those in the government use exactly every fail-safe there and stick to the policies and the procedures. And it should be it should not only be expected, it should be demanded of them. And that's because I, be- I believe, and I said it, I believe I said it last episode, uh, the next war front very well could just be the cyber war front. Information. A war of information. A war of dollar signs. A war of digital capacity. And if we have and have had a history of our top political players abusing, using private servers, private emails, private systems, classified information, going in, going out. What happens? Like, it's, it's that step. You're at that step right now where you have two options. You can either be proactive, realize that this is a bad string of behavior from these people, and really start bringing the hammer down on them whether you do it retroactively or you start now and you say, look, from this point on, anybody that does even even half of what Clinton did, you're going to be in huge trouble. And not just sitting in front of a hearing committee for 11 hours talking about it. You will be in some serious, hot trouble. If cyber warfare does come on the forefront, that's that's a, that's a fight that you can't afford to lose. That's a game of of literally inches. Is all you need. One one bit of crucial information being stolen. One bit 
of crucial inform of, of crucial information being stolen could make or break an economy, an election, foreign relations, diplomacy. It could just be one key thing. So let's. Why don't we be proactive? Because the uh, the other option is to be reactive. The other option is to wait until it happens. And then try to bring the hammer on somebody when it's too late. It won't matter anymore. And it, it always boggles my mind because sometimes the approach seems so reactionary rather than proactive. It seems like if you had somebody sitting here saying, look, um, I, you know, we don't know what level the Russians could hack our information and steal it, but... It could happen, and then if they get this key stuff over here, we're screwed. That's scary stuff to think about. It's a different type of warfare. And it's a warfare that doesn't that doesn't link to so-called atrocity of firing bullets and firing bombs, but it can still wreak havoc on, on all those things that I mentioned, the economy, diplomacy, foreign relations money it's scary stuff and why isn't this being paid more attention to and what what is this what is this threat that Biden is talking about and hopefully hopefully the public doesn't find out about it that's what Chuck Todd asked him and said will the public know and he said hope not what now we're now we're back on a on a game of backdoor Closed, no information sharing, nothing being told. And at the end of the day, it just seems very shady. I know the public can't know everything that's going on. I know some information just can't be thrown out there all willy-nilly and all that jazz. But it's like when you read up, when, when you study retrospectively at least anyway, you read up on like the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, you know, was that really Soviet aggression... Uh, trying to scare America into doing something, or was it Soviet response because so many nuclear weapons were being set up by NATO or under the guise of NATO around the surrounding nations? That's, that's one of the things that calls in question when you retroactively look at things. And when you look at bigger pictures and multiple angles and multiple facets of things. Remember when I said I started this podcast so I could get different people's ideas on things. It's not just on a personal level. It's not just on a national level. It's on a multinational level. We live in a we live in a world, people. I don't know if you knew this. We live on the globe. That's home. Now, I'm not saying that we have to be all lovey-dovey with each other. Hell no. But we can't also just be the isolationist people. We can't just, you know, isolate everything. Every, everybody's their own little thing or whatever. We have to coexist on some level, at least anyway. We're all talking with each other. We're all trying diplomacy. We're all trading with each other. It's part of being human. That's part of humanity. It's part of what we do. All I'm saying is that uh, we, we have to start considering things. You know, why do I back Gary Johnson and the libertarian the, the libertarian approach of try to scale back on, on 
intervention and regime change and these other costly affairs that cost not only money, but more importantly, human lives and livelihoods. Can we please think on a different level? Can we please think on a different level? Now, we have a third and final debate coming up. And of course, guess who's excluded again? Gary Johnson, Jill Steen, they're gone. They're not. Uh, we're we're going to have a third debate. It's just going to be Trump Clinton. It's going to be very uninspiring trash. If the first two gave us any indication, this final one, why would this final one be any different? Because it's the last one? I don't think so. I do not think so. I do not have a lot of hope for this debate coming up. But I will watch it. I will go on a host of different websites to fact check it. And I will not hold back my criticism if these two do not present plans. I will not hesitate to criticize them if it lacks substance. And I will not stop criticizing the Commission on Presidential Debates for being so strict to censoring the idea of what the debates are. For me, it's not just because Gary Johnson's my dude. Okay? And he's actually... He has upset me on on a little bit because... There's this guy out there, Evan McMullen. You might have heard his name. He shot up in the polling in Utah after the Trump tapes got released because Utah, let's face it, is full of Mormons. And Evan McMullen himself is a Mormon. And Evan McMullen himself is a respected guy within the conservative community for being a level-headed, you know, straight-shooting kind of dude. He shot up in the polling in Utah. Evan McMullen has stated at least on his Twitter. I can't I can't verify these efforts elsewhere. But he has tried to set up a third party debate against Jill Steen and against Gary Johnson and Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party kind of just ignored it. And at this point I'm like you've been shut out of all three debates. We haven't made any any progress on that front. Yes, there's still lawsuits going in on the commission on presidential debates from the Green Party. Uh, from the Libertarian Party, from Jill Steen and Gary Johnson. But at this point, why wouldn't you embrace a third-party type of thing? Get, get on a newscast. John Stossel has hosted a Libertarian town hall, a Green Party town hall. He did a Libertarian debate televised. Why can't all three of these guys meet up with John Stossel, for example, and just have a third-party presidential debate. Hell, throw Daryl Castle from the uh, Constitution Party in there, too. Why not? At this point, you need the exposure. You need to be on TV, whether it's the Fox Business Network, which not, maybe not everybody gets. But somebody's bound to put it on YouTube. But somebody can organize and do it. Somebody can organize and do it and put them on there and let them, let the three of them debate amongst themselves and why they're better than the two main candidates. Regardless of, uh, of that... It's been a failed effort. We didn't crack in and get in the debates. It would have been nice to get Gary Johnson in even just one debate. I throw my hat out there to the Jill Steen and the Green Party people because you guys shouldn't be excluded either. I might not agree politically with everything that you guys want. I might have some harsh disagreements, but the ideas, 
we should always be open to hearing ideas, hearing the arguments, and being able to counter them. We should always be able to do that. So I'm hoping that somebody out there, before the election happens, can get Evan McMullen, Jill Steen, Gary Johnson, and Daryl Castle and have them do a debate. I would watch it. I would watch a 90-minute debate with them. I would watch a two-hour debate with them just because it would be different. But that's that, that begs the question, and I've already done this criticism. I, I believe it was a couple episodes ago. And if it wasn't, it, it was a couple months ago. I already did this. Why is the Commission on Presidential Debates, why is it set up? Why is it even a thing? The polling that they look at isn't what constitutes a debate. The polling they are looking at is who's voting for who. That's the that's the poll data that they're looking at. They're looking at likely vote they're looking at the choices of likely voters of who they're going to pick. Most of which is just going to be people who have have their minds made up or know that they're leaning one way or the other. These debates, I sincerely doubt anybody's been on the fence on these two candidates wondering, oh, am I going to vote for Trump or am I going to vote for Clinton? I'm, I'm pretty sure most people have been either staunchly for or against or against both. So why is the debate commission, why is the criteria, why is it all based on polling on who you're going to vote for then? What's the point in having the debates? Why debate at all? If that's the case, then these, these debates are just a facade. They're just a spectacle that make people money. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's a facade that makes people money because what's everybody going to be doing Wednesday night? They're going to be tuning in to see Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump clawing at each other. It's the only reason people watch the first and the second debate. After the second debate, people are going to be watching to see what one-liners and quips they have for each other. I have no hope for it to be of any substance. I am thoroughly convinced there's nobody on the face of the planet that is on that undecided fence saying, oh, I could vote for Trump or I could vote for Hillary. I, there, those, there's no such person that exists. You have diehards for Trump, diehards for ki- for Killery. Killery. I didn't mean to go for a joke with that. That was a legit cough up of words. Diehards for Trump, diehards for Hillary. You have these groups in the middle that are trying desperately to justify their vote for these guys. So you have the diehards that absolutely 100% are voting for them and love it and will tell you all the live long day. You have this large chunk in the middle that are trying to justify their vote for that person. They're not very talkative about this. They're not, they don't proudly support Hillary. They don't proudly support Trump. And they don't want people knowing who they support. Those are the people in the middle. And then you have this chunk in the middle where I belong, where I reject solidly both of these candidates and say that we can do far better than what we have at the forefront and that we have to stop settling for garbage. The most fun I've had I've had the most fun this election season trying to express my opinion on things when it comes to this. Because I overcriticize. 
I'll go off on tangents on Trump all day. And like my my brother Punk, who sent me a text message yesterday. Let's read. Let's take a break. Uh, yeah, he sent me a text. Fireside chat on Fritzcast. Rum cigars and in depth talk on what fact is versus false claims and scripted commentary written by celebrity lawyers and people who praised people until they were influenced to do otherwise until dollar signs were popping up. I think you know what I mean. Old Donnie boy, it back in the game and up by two points according to Rasmussen. Whatever, punk. Whatever. He's down. He's not up in the polling. I'm not, I'm not doing that to rag on you. I'm not doing that to, uh, you know, push your buttons. It's just facts. He's not up in the polling. He's... Right now, it's not looking good for your boy Donnie. That's all I'm saying. Go out and vote for Donnie all you want, man. I'm, I'm, you know, that's fine. That's fine. That's more power to you. It's your right as a voter. But he's not up in the polling. Come on, man. He's not up. But I overcriticize. I focus too much on one and not on the other, and so some people get torn in between. I don't support Donald Trump, and when I criticize Donald Trump, that's not an endorsement or an oversight of what I believe are the shortcomings of Hillary Clinton. And the same thing goes when I when I go to criticize Clinton. It's not praising Trump, and it's not giving him support, and it's not oversighting his pitfalls. I'm trying to find this level balance where we judge everybody and expect the same things out of everybody. So that with that territory comes me not favoring one of them because at least what they did or what or who they are is is less dirty than the other there's a I, I was trying to find the clip of it and I can't cuz it's years old but uh there's this guy John Layfield he actually used to be in the WWE John Bradshaw Layfield he used to have a podcast where he talked about politics and such and I can't find the episode but I did quote it one time and essentially John Layfield has the right idea that that I'm behind, and that is for so long America has just been you know voting for people. They haven't been really looking for quality of candidate or anything along that. They've just they're so used to voting from all the way from their school board elections all the way up to the president. They just vote for people. They vote for whoever's running. They don't demand that quality runs. And I think that as American people, it's time for us to stand up and say, hey, we're looking for quality candidates. If I can make a prediction right now, mark my words, I think when they analyze the popular vote this year, not the Electoral College, but when they analyze the popular vote this year, I think you're going to see uh, some very interesting data. I think you're going to see some very, very interesting data. And you can tell it's kind of on the forefront because Hillary Clinton and the, and the DNC, they're tapping Al Gore to come around and going, remember what happened when Nader won all those votes? I was denied the presidency. And you got George W. Bush, who won all the electoral votes that he needed to win, even though I won five million more votes than he did. So think about that when you're voting for your third-party people. It's this nice little dirty trick that they pull out to, 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 to scare you into trying to make a difference. Why would you make a difference? You know, oh, hey, Al Gore, buddy-buddy guy Al Gore that everybody loves on, on the left side of the spectrum, at least anyway, in the mid, maybe in the middle too. 
but from the mid to the left, everybody loves Al Gore. He's God. He comes out and he says, hey, remember Nader? Remember how I got screwed out of an election? Really? That's that's what that's what we're at. So if you think Hillary Clinton isn't afraid, she's, she actually has spent quite a bit of money attacking Gary Johnson to take him down in the polls. But tapping Al Gore to say, hey, you might not want to think about voting outside of this realm uh, because it, it screwed me out. Hopefully nobody takes that bullcrap into consideration. Because I think the popular vote's going to reflect something about the American populace and what they want out of their politicians right now. Which I think is a good thing. I think it's a great thing, and I hope that information does come out, and I hope it is telling. I hope America, I hope you don't let me down. Because if even if even these fringe candidates take a combined total of 20% of the vote away from these two candidates, I think that's kind of a I think that's kind of showing that the tides are turning away from this stuff because I don't subscribe to this belief that Donald Trump isn't a part of the establishment. I don't. You're going to have to do a lot more convincing of uh, to me that he is. And unfortunately, we're not unfortunately a lot of it won't come to light until it's too late. It'll be retrospectively. So it'll be interesting. Hopefully this debate coming up isn't trash. But I am I forever remain unenthusiastic about it. So that's gonna do it for me for this week. Thank you guys for listening. I gone fifty I gone fifty minutes today. Fifty full minutes of Fritzcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Like this, share this, tweet about it. Let me know what you thought. I appreciate all your help and all the uh, all the publicity that you guys give me. See you next week. Gonna be going over this Wednesday's debate. <laughs>